my trouble, I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. Among the gods there is none like unto thee, O Lord. Neither are thou any works like unto thy works. All nations whom thou hast made shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. I will walk in thy truth. Unite my heart to fear thy name. I will praise thee, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify thy name forevermore. For great is thy mercy toward me, and thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. O God, the proud are risen against me, and the assemblies of violent men have sought after my soul and have not set thee before them. But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. Show me a token for good and they which hate me shall see it and be ashamed because thou, Lord, hast helped me and comforted me. Teach me thy way, O Lord. I will walk in thy way. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Today we must learn to pray unlike others. We must learn to pray like, unlike others. Too often times we get confused in our prayer life. Or I wouldn't maybe say confused, but we have this same recurring issue that happens in my prayer life, it happens, I'm sure, perhaps in your prayer life, is that we come to God, and whenever we pray, we pray like this, Lord, I have a very big need. Uh, Lord, the bills need to be paid. Lord, uh, I don't particularly like the situation that I'm in right now. God, I've got some sickness in my life. Lord, a financial problem. Lord, my marriage is not where it ought to be. We pray to God to meet our physical needs and, listen to me, we should. We should. We should. There's no reason why we shouldn't go to God in these things. Many of the Psalms include these things. But sometimes and many times, I believe that our prayers can become fleshly. They can become, I would say, external and physical. 
But I believe what Psalm 86 and many of the other Psalms show to us is this, is that our prayers should be spiritual prayers. There should be a part of our prayer life that is, the majority of it, I might even say, should be prayers that are spiritual. Prayer that is asking God to help our souls. Prayers that seek God to help us grow in grace. Prayers that say, Lord, I will walk with you. Help me to walk close to you. Prayers that declare the greatness and the glory of God. The creation of God, the, the, the foundings of God, the, the, the design of God. Prayers that say, God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me from all of my unrighteousness. Paul, in his prayers, in his epistles, in the beginning parts of his epistles, they were mostly spiritual prayers. They dealt with our love increasing, our wisdom increasing. They dealt with our understanding increasing. They focused and honed in on their relationship to God, their relationship to their Lord, their walk with God, their sin, their lack of understanding. And they always seem to find in the book of Psalms to a way to declare God's goodness and God's creative acts and ways. When was the last time you said, God, thank you for creating the world? (laughs) God, you're a big God. You created the ocean and the seas. I mean, God, you're an amazing God. Did you know there's a whole chapter in the Bible that's dedicated to the creation of Leviathan? Think about that. Have you ever told, Lord, Lord, I thank you for the blue whale? You know, that's the greatest animal on earth today that we know of. Uh, God, you are an amazing, complex, awesome, extraordinary God. Thank you. But that's the prayer that we have in front of us today. Psalm 86 is a spiritual prayer. Except for verse number 17. There is no physical thing that David is asking for. By the end of the chapter, you find that David is seeking for physical deliverance from his enemies. God, show me a token of your salvation, God. God, I need some help and deliverance here. Like I said, there's nothing wrong with playing physical prayers. But the rest of the prayer is concerned with God, his mercy, his strength, blessing and praising God. And this one verse that we're going to focus in on today focuses in on this one truth, on how we can pray unlike others. How we can lead and live spiritual lives based upon spiritual prayers. And there's three truths that I want to point out to you this morning that will help us to pray and to lead and to live a spiritual life unlike others. Number one is preparation. 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 In order to... Pray unlike others, you got to prepare like on others. When I was in high school and playing football, uh, they, didn't say, uh, they didn't say it quite like that. They said, if you're going to play like, un- others, uh, like unlike others, you're going to have to practice like unlike others. I mean, if you're going to play hard and, and really uh, have a good uh, game, then you're going to have to practice unlike others. You're going to have to really get with it. You're going to have to really uh, put the time and the effort into it. The Olympic Games are coming up here in just a few days, and we just all learned that there's no spectators going to be there. That's going to be real interesting, isn't it? Uh, you know, uh, will they pipe in the crowd noise whenever somebody runs across the finish line? I don't know how they're going to do it. In any, any, any case, that may, whatever case that may be, uh, I was just wondering, did you get your refund back? That's all I want to know. Do I get a refund on those tickets, uh, on those hotel rooms, or any, any of those kinds of things, or were those things non-refundable? Uh, none the, nonetheless, 
right, those people that are going through the Olympics, I'll tell you right now, they have prepared unlike any others. All right? I tell you, the, 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 the guy that is running the 10,000 meters, trust me, he wasn't eating Big Mac and fries yesterday, okay? All right? I mean, he wasn't. I just, that's not part of the regimen. That's not part of the routine, maybe for the shot disc thrower. But I don't know about for the guy running the 10,000 meters. The point being is this, is that if you're going to play like on others, you're going to have to prepare like on others. And in the Christian walk and in the Christian life, if you're going to pray unlike others, you're going to have to prepare unlike others. You're going to have to say, teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me. Teach me. You know what teaching is? Preparation. Being taught is preparation. I went to Bible school, and what were they doing? They were teaching me. Why? They were preparing me. They were getting me ready. We always say, when we get out of Bible college and we get into our first year of serving the Lord somewhere, we say, well, they never taught us in Bible college. You know, you know they never taught that in Bible college. And uh, if you've ever been to a trade school or any other kind of school and you got into your first day of job or your first week or your first year, you probably said that same thing. Well, they never taught us in there. I mean... Luke went for a year for AC school. I bet you, I bet you, they didn't, he didn't, they say, man, I didn't learn half of that stuff there. I mean, I'm, I've never seen this before. What is all this happening here? They never taught us that there. But what is that for? It is to give you a basic understanding. It is to give you a basic knowledge of, and a basic working. It's there to prepare you, to get you ready, to send you out into the field. And that is what God is doing whenever he says, teach me. That's what he's saying. Teach me, oh God. I need your help. I need your help, God. Teach me. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Have you ever opened up your Bible in the morning and got your Bible out? Everybody got your Bible? All right. You get your Bible out. Right there it is. And you open it. Have you ever said, God, teach me? Teach me. I'm the student. You're the master. God, teach me. I need some help. I need instruction. I don't know what this thing says. I don't know what it means. I'm claiming to be a complete ignoramus. God, please teach me. Teach me, oh God. Show me thy way. I need your help. I need it, God. A student in seminary one time, he loved his professor. He loved him so much, I mean, he was always bugging him. He was asking him question after question after question after question. And every single time, that professor always had an answer. You ever met somebody like that? I mean, they always got an answer. I don't mean they're a smart aleck. I just mean they always got an answer, all right? You know, there are people that are smart aleck, so they just always got an answer for everything. But I don't mean somebody. I mean, this guy always had a good answer. Always had a good answer. One day, John called, and he said, he called the professor, and he had a question, big question on his mind. Called and called, nobody answered, nobody answered. Finally, he couldn't take it any longer, left his dorm room, went down to the professor's office. He wasn't even there. He left his note on the desk. He said, Mr. Smith, please call me immediately. It's urgent. It's urgent. Well, Mr. Smith came into the office the very next day, seeing the note, called John immediately, said, what is it, John? What is it? What is wrong? Something happened. He said, no, sir, I just have a question. He said, stop right there. He said, stop right there. He said, wow, this guy is really smart. He knows the answer to the question without him even asking the question. I mean, this guy's awesome. He said, no, 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 no. He said, that's not it at all. He said, I just want to tell you this right now. He said, John, you've come to, learn, you've come to lean on me too much. He said, I've done a disservice to you. He said, you need to go to find the answer the same place I get my answers. He said, where? Tell me where it's at. I need to know. He said, I go to God and his word. And he hung up the phone. He was wise. And what he was doing there, that professor was. Why? Because all of us need to come to a place of realization is this, is that truly our answers come from God. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Teach me, God. I need help. I can't do this thing on my own. 
James 1.5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, and he will give it to all men liberally. That means uh, with, without question, without reservation, God will give it to you. He says, I'll give it to you liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse number 27, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same man teaches, as the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. What is he saying there in a mouthful? Is this, he's, saying, he's saying this. He's saying that the Holy Spirit of God that lives with inside of every believer here today is that he can teach you. Psalm 119 says this, I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies, thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. How did he know? How did he know how to live? How did he have understanding? He knew the Word of God. He knew the Word of God. The Word, teach means to shoot it means to aim it means to point an arrow at David is saying God I want you to take out your bow and I want you to aim it right at me that's what he's saying he's saying God I want you to take your bow out and I want you to point your arrow right at my heart God I want you to teach me I want you to put the finger right on me Show me where to go. Show me how to live. Show me what to do. Point it out. Point your finger at me. Have you ever been in class before? I think it was uh, in class, and they sometimes they, they teach like this, or maybe a preacher preaches like this. I think it was Bill Clinton that they advised him to not point the finger, but point the thumb. You know what I mean? It was less suggestive and everything, a little bit more moderate, if you will. Uh, it wasn't so harsh, you know, to point the thumb and everything. We don't want anybody pointing the finger at us. You ever done that to your kids? You point the finger, you say, why did you do that? And I'm looking at you on the camera right now. Why did you do this? You know, why is you doing this? Why is you going like, going like this? I should interact more with that thing that's kind of fun uh but uh but uh you point them out and you say why did you do this you shouldn't have done it like that you should do it like this and you point oh you got very specific instructions when i leave the house you make sure that you get all the dishes done you make sure that you get everything cleaned up make sure that you have uh your 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 your, your clothes ready and your your room your room picked up and you point it out you god david is saying this teach me point the arrow at me god but you know what i believe here this morning I had to do some self-evaluation on this point because I'm wondering if some of us are too scared to try that. Are we too scared to say, God, point it out. Point it out, God, whatever it is in my life. Are we too scared? How did David get to the place that he could say, point it out? It's because David was able to, number one, Say, it's not my way, it's your way. That's the first thing. He was able to say, it's not my way, it's your way. That's what Jesus said in the garden, didn't he? He said, not my will be done, but what? Nine. He said, it's not about me, it's about you, God the Father. And he was leaving for us an example for all of us. David had given up on his own way, and he had given into God's way. He proves that in verse number 13. Look what it says. It says, for great is thy mercy toward me. For thou hast delivered my soul from the lowest hell. 
God, your mercy has been great to me. I've been saved by your mercy, by your grace, God. I have been changed. My life is different now. Have you given up? Let me ask you this real quick before I move on. Have you given up on your own way and thinkings about what salvation means and have given in to God's ways? Are you done? I'll tell you, a person that is saved, a person, I should say, that gets saved is somebody that's unsatisfied. Unsatisfied. You can't ever get anybody saved that's satisfied. Anybody that's satisfied, okay with the way they're living, okay with their religion, okay with their thoughts and views on salvation, you'll never see that person get saved. They're satisfied. They're okay. They don't need what you've got. But the person that gets saved is the unsatisfied man or woman. That is unsatisfied with the way their life is going, with whether, what the, uh, the truths that they've been taught. They're unsatisfied with uh, where they're going in life. And they say, I need some help. He asks for God's way. Where are you going to find it? He's already told us in his word. You say, I don't know his word. Well, guess what? All of you can have access to a Bible. And you can find it right here. Find it right here. I'm reading my Bible through again this year. And you know what? I'm finding new things all the time. I'm finding new stuff all the time. You find how to live in the Word. That's where you find it. Are you scared today? Maybe we don't pray this way because we're just too scared to pray this way. Maybe we're just too scared to say, God, teach me thy way. Oh, Lord. You're afraid God might show you something. God might actually reveal his will to you. You're like a husband that's taken too many wrong turns and is too stubborn to stop and ask for help and too prideful to admit he's wrong. You know? You've taken too many wrong turns in life and you know the wrong turns you've taken. You said, I don't want to stop. I don't want to ask for help because if I ask for help, then I'm going to be shown that I am wrong and I want to be shown that. I don't like God to tell me I'm wrong. I don't like anybody to tell me wrong. But you know what? One of the biggest parts of growing up in the spiritual life is learning where you're wrong at. That's a big part of growing up in any part of life. As a kid, learning where things are wrong, that's a big part of learning how to do things, is learning what is right to do and learning what is wrong to do. I'm glad there's some teachers out there that teach you when you're learning in driver education, Randy, that you know what, this is the right side of the road to drive on. Don't cross the yellow line, all right? That's the wrong side to drive on. My dad was driving a 57 Chevrolet, beautiful, crisp, clean, beautiful car, red and white, candy, candy apple red. And, uh, and he, he dropped something down on the floorboard, crossed over the yellow line, smacked head on into somebody else, and totally ruined that car right there. $100,000 car today. Think about that. Smack somebody right, in the, right, right head on. Thankfully, he was okay. The person was okay. You know, they used to make cars out of steel back then, so I guess you're all right. But nonetheless... You have a right side of the road to drive on. You have a wrong side to drive on. We need to learn the difference. You know that that bitterness and that unforgiving spirit in your heart right now is wrong. And you're too scared to go to God and say, God, teach me thy way. Because the moment you say, Lord, teach me thy way, teach me thy way, teach me thy truth, what's God going to say? He's going to say, you've been unforgiving. <laughs> you've, been, you've, been, you've been bitter. 
You, you're not forgiving that person. You haven't done what is right in that situation. You're scared to say, God, ask me. You know that God's going to say, well, you know you shouldn't be talking and hanging out with those, that group of friends of yours. They're leading you astray. They're leading you in a re- direction that is not right, that is not godly, that is not good. And you know that that's not good for you to be hanging around them. I don't mean that you're not witnessing to them. I don't mean that at all. But I mean, I mean getting close to them. I mean, you're saying, uh, I don't want to ask God to teach me that big way. Because if I do, I know he's going to show me something that I don't like. You know God doesn't approve where you're going this afternoon or maybe further on this week. But you're saying, I can't say to God, teach me thy way. Because if I do, God will show me where I'm wrong. Where I'm wrong. Yes, that's part of it. That's part of it. If I say, God, teach me thy way, then God, I'll, I'll have to be the wife that God you call me to be. I'll have to, I'll have to be the husband that you've called me to be, God. I, if I say that. But if you're going to pray unlike others, then you're going to have to live like unothers. You're going to have to begin to understand that you're going to have to say, God, point the arrow at me. Point the arrow at me. It's not only require preparation, but it requires perspiration. Perspiration. He says, I will walk in thy truth. I will walk in thy truth. You know, walking is not an easy thing to do. You say, oh, it's easy to do. No, it's not. How many of you are up to walking 20 miles today? Huh? None of us. I dare say that one of us are prepared and ready to walk 20 miles. That's the average that you should be able to walk in one day. Did you know that? That's the average. But I dare say that any of us are ready to walk 20 miles. If you become a really good walker, you can walk 30 miles in one day. George Megan. Anybody ever heard of George Megan? I never did either. But he had a great idea. He left the British Royal Navy and he went down to Tierra del Fuego, the southern tip of Argentina. And he had this great idea in the 1970s. He was going to be the man that has the, uh, the longest unbroken walk of all time. And he began in 1977 to walk from Tierra del Fuego all the way to the northernmost part of Alaska with a detour over to Washington, D.C., and back. He walked an uninterrupted 19,000 miles in 2,225 days. That's almost seven years. He holds the record to this day of having the longest unbroken walk ever. In the midst of it all, he found his wife who was Japanese. He learned to speak Japanese in her English. They had two children along the way. <laughs> At the very beginning of his walk, him and his wife were robbed at gunpoint down in Argentina. Walking takes some perspiration. It takes some sweat. It takes some commitment. It takes some time. And the Christian life is not described as a Christian run. It's described as a Christian walk. A walk. 
And it's going to take some perspiration. It's going to take some commitment. It's going to take some time to give it in on your effort. It's no wonder that God says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not, what? Faint. Faint. God promises to those of us that will wait upon him that he will renew their strength and that they will be able to walk with him. He promises them that they will not faint, be pale, or be weak, but rather they will walk with God. It requires some commitment. I want you to all say that word with me this morning. Say commitment. So you're not very committed, all right? Go ahead. Let's try it one more time, all right? Say Say it like you're committed, okay? You ready? Here we go. Commitment. Good job, man. Much better. You said it more better. You said it more better that time, all right? I said, I, I just went out and just broke out into bad grammar. Very committed right then. Uh, but the point being is this. Walk. Perspiration. I will walk in thy ways. He says this. He says, now, now follow me here. God, teach me thy ways. O Lord. And the text is giving us the idea that God shows him the ways. And then he gets into this category. I will walk in thy truth. Committed. A lost art form today is commitment. What do you see all over town today at the restaurants? See a sign. And nearly every restaurant I've been to or every restaurant I've seen. What does it say? Now hiring. Now hiring. Restaurants. Now hire, now hire, now hire, now hire. It's, fine. it's hard to find anybody that's committed to anything today. Whether it's their job, whether it's their marriage, whether it's their, uh, their kids. People don't want to, they don't want commitment. They don't want to be committed. They want to be committed to church. They want to be committed to anything. Commitment was something that back in the 1940s and 50s was something that people prided themselves in. No doubt there's probably been a lot of reasons why that has been, dis- dis- been destroyed and dismantled. But nonetheless, commitment is something that's lost. If God shows you something, a way to walk, a way to live, are you going to commit to him and say, God, I will do it? I will do it. You say, I tried that before, and I failed. Well, then try again. A just man falls down seven times, and then what? Rises up again. Rises up again. I will walk in thy ways. Do you think David failed a couple of times? Anybody here this morning? He did. He failed many times. Over and over and over again. But I'll tell you this. His victories. We sometimes get stuck on David's failures. But I'll tell you this. His victories far outweigh his failures. Far outweigh them. Have we all forgotten 1 Samuel chapter number 17? When a little boy, 16 years old, took five smooth stones down from a river brook and took a slingshot, went up to a Goliath and said, you, may, you, you may be defying the armies of Israel and I, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. And he took that stone and he slung it up in the air and he killed that Goliath and it didn't stop there and he kept killing the, 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 the Philistines and he kept defeating all the enemies of God's host and he kept going on to the point, he got to the place one time that he couldn't fight anymore and he was an old man and he was so broken and wore, and wore out that he was trying to kill another Goliath and somebody else had to come in behind him and say and they had to snatch him up and get him out of the way and kill the Goliath for him they said all right David you've had enough all right go take it go take it easy now you've had enough 
You've had enough victories. You've had enough time. You've been on the battlefield long enough. We need you, David, as a king. We don't need you out here in the battle anymore. But I'll tell you what, my friend. We need somebody that will be committed. Committed to your marriage. Committed to your children. Committed to your job. Committed to your church. Committed to giving. Committed to helping. Committed to serving. Commit. Perspiration. And then finally, purity. He says here in verse number 11, how are we going to pray like unothers? Is this not not ringing a bell with anybody here this morning? That this is a prayer that's unlike other people? Lord, I pray that you bless Aunt Sally with her broken toe, you know. Help me, Lord, my job's not doing too well right now. God, I'm really having some issues with my finances. God, my marriage is on the rocks and I need some help. I'm not saying we don't pray like that. Don't get me wrong and don't take me wrong here this morning. I'm not saying that at all. All right? Get that through your head here this morning. But what I am saying is this, is that we need to be praying spiritual prayers. We need to ask God for help. We need to ask God to teach us and show us his ways and then commit to God and say, God, I will walk in thy truth. I will do it, God. If you'll show me, I'll do it and mean it. And then purity, purity. He says, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Now we all that are saved here this morning, I don't know if you figured this out or not, but we all have two spirits within us that are diametrically opposed to each other. We have the spirit of the flesh and we have the Holy Spirit of God. Now if you're not saved, you don't have the Holy Spirit of God. All you have is the flesh The old man, self. And you're stuck with that. But here in front of us, the Bible says, Unite my heart to fear thy name. Our hearts have a war of two wills, if you will. David had it right when he said, Unite my heart. He was saying, Lord, line me up with your spirit. Get my heart in tune with thy word. I work with metals sometimes, and there is a process in metalworking or I should say a chemical reaction in metalworking called galvanic corrosion, erosion. That's when two dissimilar metals come together, tied together somehow, either mechanically or uh, put together somehow, and those two dissimilar metals begin to corrode each other. If you take copper and steel and screw them together, you wait for some time, guess what? They will, they will begin to produce some electrolysis with inside of that right there. And that will begin to corrode both of those metals. It will begin to corrode them. And then sooner or later, then both of them will be worthless. Both of them will be of none account. They're not combat- compatible for each other. They don't work together. And here's the thing. Is that when you're a believer in Jesus Christ, is that you don't get to choose flesh or you don't get to choose flesh and spirit. You don't get to say, well, I want to live in my flesh today and live spirit-filled life. You don't get to make that choice. Those two are not compatible with each other. They don't work together. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. That's the issue that the children of Israel faced whenever they were in, Can- whenever they were in the desert. They were, la- they were supposed to be in Canaan land. They were supposed to be in the land that flowed with milk and honey. And the problem with most believers today is this, is that we're stuck in the desert. We've never gone into Canaan land. We've never had victory like we ought to have. 
We've been stuck there. We've been walking around in the desert, around and around and around. Oh, we're saved from Egypt. We're saved out of, we're saved out of that wicked, ungodly place. We've been saved from our sins, praise God. We're no longer underneath the bondage of Pharaoh, underneath the devil anymore. But praise God, we've been delivered from that. But our disobedience and our unresponsiveness to the word of God keeps us in the desert. Wandering, wandering, round and around and around. You want to have victory with Jesus Christ? Victory over sin, victory in your life? You have to learn how to pray unlike others. Let me, give you a practic- let me give you a couple of practical points, and I'll close up here. You say, I don't know how to do that. Let me teach you one of the easiest ways to do that. Open up your Bible to the book of Psalms. Get on your knees. And you, with all your heart, pray one of these Psalms. You start getting your heart in tune with this. It'd be a sad day in here if all y'all started in, bitten in tune with me while I'm up here song leaning instead of getting in tune with that piano over there, okay? It'd be a sad day. I mean, y'all would be all off course and everything. I mean, I can't even get the words after, right half the time, you know? My mind's on about 15,000 different things, and I can't even get the words right. Y'all just gracious to me. Y'all wonderful. But it'd be a sad day if we all got our heart, if we all just started getting in tune with me or with something else. I even heard Caleb up here just before we got started here. You know what? He was uh, up here plucking around on his guitar, and I heard him reach over there to the piano, and he kind of hit, hit one of those keys. He wanted to hear that key. He wanted to hear that piano. He wanted to tune it up, make sure it was okay. He wanted to tune it up to what the, the instrument was that was in tune, that he knew was in tune, that he knew was good. And I'll tell you what, the Word of God is good. It's always in tune, and it doesn't need a piano tuner, amen? Hey, we don't need somebody to get in this book right here and try to revamp it, revise it, and get it to be something a little bit better. No, I tell you what, we've got the inspired Word of God right here in our hands. It's the Holy Word of God. We can trust it and believe it. Rest our hearts upon it. And we need to have some purity in our hearts and our life. We need to say, God, rip out the flesh. Unite my heart to fear thy name. That means join my heart to you, O God. Join it to you. Purify it. Take away this flesh. Take out this self. And this self-living and this pride that I've got in my heart, God. And this sin that's in my life. And God, let me live for you, let me live a life that is spirit-filled, spirit-controlled. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, For which cause we faint not, but though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal or temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We must learn to pray unlike others so that we can live unlike others. So that we can live spirit-filled, victorious Christian lives. We don't just live for what's in the foreground, but we live for what's in the eternal. We're not just looking at this world, 
we're looking at the next. We're not just living for what's in the here and now, but we want to get ready for what's in the upcoming. We're not living for the kingdom of Satan. We want to be living for the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. So why don't you pray? Teach me. Teach me thy way, O Lord. And then why don't you commit and say, God, I will walk in thy truth. And then ask God, unite my heart. God, I got a problem with the flesh, with the devil. I got a problem with myself. And God, I need to get self out of here. And I need you to unite my heart. Fill me with your spirit to fear thy name. To hold thy name in reverence. All inspiring. To lift it up. The Bible says that one of the promises of those that will fear God. It says he will give them a banner to wave. Are you waving your banner high for Jesus Christ? Are you standing up, standing up for Jesus? You soldiers of the cross. Lift high his royal banner. We must not suffer loss. I heard one preacher say the other day, he said, we don't need to be singing, hold the fort. We need to be singing, onward Christian soldiers. We don't need to be cooped up, caught up, delivered up into a bunch of nonsense. What we need to be doing is pressing on, moving forward. I press towards the mark of the prize of the hard calling of God in Christ Jesus. May God help us to pray unlike others. Father, we're thankful for